Chapter One of Mystery of the Ambush in India. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson, London. Mystery of the Ambush in India by Andy Adams. Chapter One A Mysterious Message. It was sunset along the Calcutta waterfront. The reflection of the vivid tropical sky turned the murky water of the Hooghly River into a rippling rainbow. The river was alive with a variety of craft, including native sailboats, side-wheel steamers that plied up and down the Hooghly between Calcutta and the Bay of Bengal, 80 miles south, as well as sturdy tugs, launches and lighters that served the ocean-going ships moored in midstream along the strand. Biff Brewster was standing at the bow of a big freighter, the 10,000-ton Northern Star, which only that afternoon had cast anchor in the port of Calcutta. Biff was a blond-haired youth of sixteen, with broad, square shoulders and blue-gray eyes that were as keen and expressive as his strong, well-formed features. With Biff were two other boys, his companions in previous adventures. One was Kamuka, a Brazilian boy of Biff's own size and age. They had met at the headwaters of the Amazon, where Biff had accompanied his father, Thomas Brewster, in an adventurous search for a fabulous gold mine. Kamuka, who had spent most of his life on jungle rivers, was keenly interested in the scenes he now was viewing along the Hooghly. The other boy was slightly younger and smaller of build, but quite as wiry and athletic as his two companions. He was Likake Mehaneli, a Hawaiian youth known as Lee to his friends. Lee, a skilled diver, had helped Biff crack the riddle of a vanished sloop when they had teamed in a thrilling sea hunt off the Hawaiian shores. Now all three were newly arrived in India, the land of mystery, but there was no mystery as to why and how they happened to be together. That was due to a simple turn of events. Months ago, Biff's father had gone to India to open long-neglected gold mines in some of the former princely states that had been absorbed by the Indian Republic. It had taken much longer than Mr. Brewster expected, as many of his jobs did, so he had arranged for the family to come by air to India and join him there. Meanwhile, Biff had invited Kamuka to come from Brazil and spend his vacation in the United States. By a quick switch of plans, Biff and Kamuka had flown to San Francisco just in time to take last-minute passage on the Northern Star, which cost less for both than Biff's trip would have by air. The freighter had been scheduled to call at Honolulu, so Biff had written ahead to Lee, who had not only met the ship there, but had decided to come along on his own. They had broken the monotony of the long voyage with brief stops at ports on the way, but so far it had been more of a sightseeing tour than an adventure. They still had one more night to spend on shipboard, as the Northern Star had reached Calcutta a day ahead of schedule. Tomorrow, Biff declared, Dad will be here to meet us. 
By now, my mother and the twins should have reached Darjeeling, so he may be bringing them along to visit the goldfields. I hope that Mr. Brewster shows us the Kola mines at Mysore, declared Lee enthusiastically. They have shafts that go down two miles, the deepest in the world. Except for those in South America, put in Kamuka stoutly. They are the world's deepest. I learned that at technical school in Brasilia. And I suppose they taught you that South America has the biggest mountains too, returned Lee. Just wait until we see Mount Everest. Those Himalayas will make your Andes look like a lot of anthills. I shall wait until I see them before I judge, said Kamuka complacently. But since you speak of anthills, the ones we have in Brazil are bigger than anywhere else. You can't win, Lee, laughed Biff. Kamuka has an answer for everything. You're telling me, returned Lee with a grin. He even answers questions before I ask them. This good-natured banter had been going on all across the Pacific. In the friendly disputes between Kamuka and Lee, Biff had been called upon to act as judge. So now he gestured towards the river with the comment, Let's keep our minds on what we're watching for. The tidal bore coming up the river. I'd say it's due any moment now, the way those boats are getting ready for it. Tugs and sidewheelers were bracing to buck the incoming tide, while the native boats were hoisting colourful sails and poising in midstream, ready to take off up the river. Biff had his movie camera with him and began taking colour pictures of the scene, including activity along the shore, where tiny craft were hastily shoving off. They'll have to clear... Those piers, Biff commented, or they may be smashed like eggshells when the boar hits. The other boys nodded as they scanned the deepening purple of the river, but even their keen eyes failed to detect a motion on the darkened steps of an old pier. There, a slim, furtive figure was crouched close to the water, looking out toward mid-channel. Carefully, the huddled watcher fingered a watertight packet attached to a thin chain around his neck. Then, satisfied that it was safe, he slid his sleek brown form into the river and began swimming smoothly, swiftly towards the northern star. He might have been mistaken for a snout-nosed crocodile from the delta of the Hooghly, or a floating log swirling in the eddies of the changing tide. But no one noticed him, least of all the boys high on the big freighter's bow, for their attention now was fully gripped by what was happening downstream. Distant whistles blared. Their deep-throated signal was relayed by other ships closer by. Tugs added shrill blasts as a great crest of water came rushing upstream, churning the muddy hooly into a whitish foam. Tiny boats were tossed like matchboxes by the six-foot wave that swept from shore to shore. Launches rocked, tugs jounced, and the sailing craft caught the stiff wind that accompanied the tidal bore, letting its billows carry them along. While Biff and his companions were watching the wave surge toward them, the sleek brown swimmer reached the bow of the northern star. If the arriving wall of water didn't overwhelm him, it seemed sure to crush him against the side of the big ship. But... As it was almost upon him, his quick hands came up and grabbed the freighter's anchor chain. An instant later, he was out of the water, and while scrambling upward like a monkey, the white foam churned just beneath him. 
Clinging there, he waited while the freighter strained at its moorings because of the sudden lift. Then, satisfied that the chain would not swing him against the ship, he continued his climb, his dripping figure scarcely visible. On the deck above, the boys had gone to the starboard side, where Biff was taking pictures of the boats that were riding upstream. None of them noticed the head and shoulders that appeared over the port rail. A sleek figure followed, slid behind a row of crates, and worked along to a companionway. There it darted swiftly up the steps to the cabin deck above. Biff had been following the boar with his camera until it faded, tiny sailing ships and all, beneath the towering bulk of the Haurah Bridge, which spanned the quarter-mile width of the Huli River. "'Well, what did you think of it?' Biff asked. "'We have bigger boars on the Amazon,' replied Kamuka nonchalantly. "'This was only six feet. Ours are as high as sixteen. "'And the way those sailboats took off was nothing,' put in Lee, "'not compared with the way we ride the rollers with our surfboards at Waikiki.' "'It's nice to hear you fellows agree on something,' laughed Biff. As he spoke, a gong sounded from amidships. And there is something else you both like, the first call to dinner. Wait while I put my camera in the cabin, then I'll join you. Biff had left the door of his cabin unlocked. When he opened the door, he was conscious of a slight stir within. Biff looked towards the porthole that served as a window. Momentarily, it blacked out, then showed plainly against the dimming sunset, as though a figure had squirmed through. Biff stepped out, closing the door, and called down to Lee and Kamuka. Take a look over the port side and see if someone is hanging on outside my cabin. A figure had been hanging on, but no longer. Pushing off from the side of the ship, it straightened in mid-air and plummeted down the side of the freighter, punching the water with scarcely a splash. By the time Lee and Kamuka looked over the rail and Biff was gazing from the porthole of the cabin, the life-brown swimmer was heading shoreward, unseen on the now darkened surface of the river. The cabin itself was empty. Of that Biff felt sure as he turned on the light, until a familiar voice spoke almost at his elbow. "'Listen carefully, Biff,' the voice announced. "'I have something important to tell you.' The effect was electric on Biff. "'It's Dad's voice!' he exclaimed. By then the door of the cabin had opened again, and Lee and Kamuka were staring in, both bewildered as the voice continued. "'I cannot meet you as I planned, so follow these instructions exactly. Tomorrow morning at ten o'clock, be at the new India Bazaar in Calcutta.' At this, Lee exclaimed excitedly, "'It's Mr. Brewster's voice!' and Kamuka added, "'But where is he? I don't see him.' Then Biff was pointing, showing them the answer. The voice was coming from a tape recorder that was on a table in the corner, and it was connected with a lamp socket in the cabin wall. "'And there you will receive another message,' Mr. Brewster's voice declared. "'Follow it exactly, and you will meet a man we can both trust. He will have more to tell you, so obey his orders to the letter.' as if they came from me. The tape ran on silently from that point. Biff stopped the recorder as Lee asked, in a puzzled tone, Is this a joke, Biff? Kamuka, his eyes wide, was silently asking the same question. But Biff shook his head. 
Far from it, said Biff. I never heard this tape before. But it's Dad's voice, as you both know. He has a recorder just like mine. In fact, I brought this one along because Dad told me that if he had a special message, he would put it on tape for me, just as he has. With that, Biff strode to the porthole and looked out over the Black River, toward the thousands of lights that were now gleaming from the vastness of Calcutta, largest city in India, and the second greatest metropolis of what had once been the British Empire. But who brought the message, queried Lee. And why, added Kamuka. Those questions, returned Biff, will be answered tomorrow at the New India Bazaar. End of chapter one. Recording by Peter Tomlinson, London.